the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Greetings to my new affiliate in Aurora, Missouri, AM 940 News Talk, KSWM. My new affiliates in Cape May, New Jersey, the Florida Keys. Welcome all 475 affiliates, and you love having on former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie because he answers my questions. Good morning, Governor. Welcome back from Israel. Glad to have you back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh, thanks so much for having me on. Let's begin with the important stuff. What did you see in Israel? What message do you want to give the American people about what Israel is facing? Hugh, the extraordinary thing that I saw was not just the inhumanity that has been visited on the people of Israel, but it was the joy that these terrorists took in visiting this inhumanity on the people of Israel. I saw a video that was a 40-minute video put together by the government of Israel from raw footage, um, from dash cams, body cams of the terrorists, who were later killed and they confiscated those cams, and also from the cell phones of some of the victims. And the things I saw were extraordinary. Um, Terrorists burning people alive. Um, Terrorists coming into a home, chasing a father and his eight and six-year-old sons into a bomb shelter, throwing a hand grenade in there, and watching the father jump on the hand grenade to save his two sons and kill, he was killed. And the two sons running out at Hugh, the bomb shelter, full of their father's blood. And the terrorists chased them into the house. And the two little boys were sitting there screaming and crying about their father being dead. And the terrorists stared at them and then opened the refrigerator, took Cokes out of the refrigerator and drank them. I, it's, it's a level of inhumanity Lastly, there's a million stories I could tell you, but lastly, they intercepted a cell phone call from a Hamas terrorist back to his parents in Gaza. And he said, Mom, I just killed 10 Jews with my bare hands. Your your son is a hero. And the parents were cheering on the other end of the phone. Governor, if you are the president, will you cut off funding to American universities that refuse to expel the anti-Semites who are assaulting Jews and other people across campuses in the United States? Uh, not only that, Hugh, but I would, <clears throat> I would all personally meet with the board of trustees of these universities and tell them that they need to fire their presidents because this is a lack of leadership. Uh, and when you see what's going on, especially right now up at Harvard, it is a disgrace to, to have people calling for intifada. That's not free speech, you. We know that that's calling for murder. That's calling for murder of the Jews as a religion, as a race. It is, it is extraordinary. And I think that for too long, and the root of this problem, Hugh, is that these presidents and these boards of trustees, have been hiring these anti-Semitic professors and granting them tenure. And we send our 18-year-old sons and daughters to these places to be educated. And what we find out now is they're being educated by a ton of anti-Semites who are teaching impressionable kids that somehow it's there's, a, there's some moral equivalent. There is no moral equivalent between what happens in Israel and Hamas. It is the difference between good and evil, and and we need to be teaching those things. They need to learn them, Hugh. Don't get me wrong, but they need to have them characterized in the right way because I bet you that two-thirds of these students on these campuses who are walking around and chanting for intifada 
don't have a damn idea what they're talking about. I agree with that. Now, Governor, uh, I enjoyed last week's debate greatly. I hope I thought the Republican Jewish Committee uh, coalition's inclusion was a stroke of genius by Ronna McDaniel and David Bossie. The next debate is going to be in Alabama. Will you qualify for it? I have qualified, Hugh. Ah. Uh, the great news is uh, just uh, two days ago, we passed the 80,000 mark. We had already qualified under the polling. Um, we were working hard. You know, they're setting high standards here in getting there. We had to work very hard to make sure. But I, I want to give you some perspective because you were also involved watching me run eight years ago. At this time, eight years ago, we had 8,600 donors. Huh. Today, we have over 81,000 donors. Well, I, I, I b- believe that I have forwarded you a text from one of my old Democratic partners in a law firm saying he would vote for you for president. And I, I said, that's the first Republican to ever vote for. But they don't get to vote in primaries. Is it working with primary voters? Look, it is. And I think what you're seeing is, you know, Hugh, this thing started at 13 candidates, right? And, and as, as of right now, it's, it's really down to five candidates who have any chance to win this thing. And I'm one of those five. And when I started, you know, people said, oh, there's no chance. There's no appetite in the Republican Party for the truth, um, for the truth about Donald Trump, for, for the truth about what our country needs to do. And I think we've proven that that's absolutely wrong. There is an appetite for it. Now, as we get to these next 60 days, there has to be distinctions made between myself and the others on the stage. And I think we started to do that at the third debate because there were substantive questions being asked. And frankly, one of the things that I was most disturbed by, and I said this during the debate, was that no one would answer the question. They all have these pre-programmed answers that they've memorized, uh, or these pithy lines that they've memorized, and they all look relieved when they actually get the lines that they've memorized out. Instead of listening to the question, when you were asking about the Navy, it was extraordinary to me that no one would give a substantive answer. And, you know, and who have given any thought about this. And now they want to be president of the United States. Uh, it's, it's stunning to me because let me tell you, if you know, if you're sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office, memorized answers don't work. I, uh, I have a column in the Washington Post today about why this debate was better than other debates. And I was sympathizing with Brett Baer last night. Eight candidates, a lot harder to manage than five. And NBC worked very hard with the RJC and me to make sure that it was well done. But the 90-second answer is crucial, as well as getting rid of the stupid right of reply. Do you agree with those fundamental rule set changes, Governor? I do. And, and I, and, and, but it only works, Hugh, really well if you answer the questions. Right. You, you did know, answer you my question on ship counts. Some of them may not have known. Some of them may have wanted to make other other points. And uh, I do not think we're going to have more than four. I don't think Mr. Ramaswamy is going to make the cutoff on polling. But I hope the former president comes. At some point, I think he loses support if he doesn't come. What do you think? I do, too. And I think it's going to be coming as people really start to focus. And let's face it, Hugh. You and I have been focusing on this on this every day for a long time. Um, this is your business and my business. Um, but for the American people, there's a lot going on. I think that the, the, the tragedy in Israel um, and what's going on uh, in this country at the border and inflation is now getting people to really focus on the fact that, wow, we have an election. And I think Donald Trump's numbers are artificially inflated. I think for as for any incumbent but let's face it what if joe biden were in the 40s in the democratic primary there would be a a media tumult about how he was dead in the 40s how could any incumbent be in the 40s yet donald trump in the 40s is a runaway winner um i just don't believe that uh and i and i think that it's going to start to come to a head over the course of the next 60 days, along with the fact to you that what all your listeners need to understand, whether they support Donald Trump or not, is that on March 4th, the trial is going to start in Washington, D.C., where Mark Meadows is going to be the lead witness for the prosecution, not some rogue Democratic prosecutor, not some product of the two-tiered system of justice that so many people complain about, but the guy who was one of the founders of the Freedom Caucus, the guy who Donald Trump called James Baker, 
as his chief of staff. He's going to sit in the courtroom 20 feet from Donald Trump and say he committed crimes before his eyes. But he lied to the American people knowingly starting on election night and did everything he could to obstruct a valid American election. How in the hell are we going to nominate someone like that and expect to win back the presidency? We won't. Governor, I got one quick question to ask you. Yesterday, Ambassador Haley suggested to my friends over at Comfortably Smug and Josh Holmes podcast, Ruthless, that we need identification for people who use social media. And I'm sympathetic to that if it's foreigners. I just wouldn't let them on. What do you think of her answer to uh, the Ruthless podcast folks? I don't agree with it. And I think it's, again, typical of the simplistic slogan answers that you get from Governor Haley. Uh, Finish them on Hamas uh, in, 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 the, in Gaza, um, you know, uh, all her references to her high heels um, anytime she's attacked. Um, you know, it's time for serious people to take on these serious problems, you, and that's not a serious answer. Thank you for coming back, Governor Christopher. Keep coming back. We're Switzerland here. Everyone is welcome of the five remaining Republicans. They are all welcome. They've all been here, and they should all keep coming back like Governor Christie. Hopefully next week we'll have Governor DeSantis and Governor Haley. I don't know when Mr. Ramaswamy or the former president will be back, but they're always welcome on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Chairman Mike Turner helms the House Intel Committee. He joins me now. Good morning, Congressman. Great to have you on. Good morning, Hugh. Thanks for having me. I just talked with uh, Governor Christie about the fact that more than 150 arrests were made at the border of people on the terror watch list. Those are the people that we got. How significant is the threat of terrorists entering or having already entered into the United States across the southwestern border? Well, it's enormous. You know, over just about two weeks ago, uh, FBI Director Ray, uh, in testifying before the Senate, openly stated that he believed that the United States was at risk for a terror attack inside the United States. Uh, greater than it's ever been in the last decade. And he specifically cited the border. Uh, People who are crossing the border who intend to do the United States harm, individuals who are now in the United States who are affiliated with international terrorist groups and organizations. Uh, He also cited our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the inability to to currently collect intelligence within uh, Afghanistan and to understand what those terrorist groups and organizations might be plotting or planning within Afghanistan and how that might affect groups that are already here in the United States. Now, Chairman, I know that the counterintel folks at the Bureau do great work, uh, counterterrorism folks as well. However, we have this new world of social media. Since I last held a security clearance at Justice, this whole new world has developed, and it is not uh, a neutral site. Uh, bad guys use that world to talk to each other. Does the Intel Committee have any idea on how to patrol that realm, which is endless and infinite, and to which Millions of messages flow, many of them communicating between bad guys. Well, they certainly try, and you're absolutely right. On the counterterrorism side, our intelligence community has done a great job in trying to connect the dots between international groups and terrorist organizations that are outside the United States and those inside the United States who might be plotting or planning to do Americans harm. Um, Certainly, social media is one of the areas where they look for those connections and that nexus between those groups and organizations and what might be happening in the United States. And since 9-11... The intelligence community has done an excellent job of trying to take down these groups and prevent them from organizing and their ability to, to hurt Americans. But as this exponentially grows, as you just described, those who are crossing the Biden administration's open border, we no longer have control of the number of people who are here, uh, who, people who came yesterday, people who came last week. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's as they're running around trying to, to catalog and understand these groups and organizations and who they are and prevent them from doing Americans harm, the job certainly gets more difficult. Now, Chairman, on September 10th, 2001, America was feeling pretty good about itself and not worried. On October 6th of 2023, Israel thought they had a truce with Hamas. Are we back where we were on September 9th or where Israel was on October 6th? Well, I tell you this, Director Christopher Wray, when he made that statement before the Senate and then subsequently briefed our intelligence committee members, um, he's stepping out saying, uh, you know, I've been, I've been telling people this, this, this is a risk. I've been trying to get attention to this with the administration, the risks of the open border, uh, the risks of what's happening uh, in Israel with Hamas and Hezbollah, uh, the risk of what's happening as a result of our abrupt pullout of Afghanistan. 
and he decided to go public. Um, he's, he's telling the public that he needs the administration to pay attention, the administration to respond, uh, and he's just not getting that support. Are there tools that he's asked for that you're not giving him yet? I mean, you being Congress, is there money? Is there expansion? Is there stuff that they need that they're not getting? No, from us, you know, they, they have they have what they need to be able to to um, to ferret out these terrorist groups and organizations. What they don't have is a a homeland security department and an administration that's willing to close down the border and to effectively track the people who have come in. Uh, to be able to, to, to find them and make certain that they can't do us harm. Now, Mr. Chairman, I, I know that my audience is very aware that 51 former members of the intelligence community signed a libelous letter about President Trump and about the Russian disinformation being Hunter's laptop. And it was wrong. They just lied. A lot of confidence has been shattered in the intelligence community. How do you rebuild that after that kind of a letter comes out with that much of a lie embedded in it? Right. You know, the politicization of the both the Justice Department and the intelligence community uh, has been one of the real uh, harms that have occurred as a result of the Clinton-Obama culture uh, that, that we all know resulted in the Russia hoax that, it, that attempted to take down President Trump and are, are continuing to try to take him down. Um, the um, letter that you're referring to was a letter that was signed by people who were no longer in the intelligence community who um, – made representations that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation in order to to prevent the media from accurately telling that story to the American public as to what was going on in the Biden family. And that's resulted in the investigations that Jeremy Comer is currently doing in the, the oversight committee in the House and trying to track the money and trying to track the activities of the, of the Biden family that's, that's evidenced on that laptop. Um, those individuals, many were seeking jobs. They were hoping that Biden would win, which he did with their help. Um, and many sought the uh, opportunity to go back in the intelligence committee. I do think that the CIA director, Director Burns, who's currently there, is reinstituting um, integrity in the CIA and in the intelligence community. They're recapturing that. But there are those uh, who have who, who sold their integrity um, as part of the political process, and it's certainly damaged America. Well, what about the State Department right now, as we speak? I was part of the 300,000 people on the mall yesterday, proud to march for Israel. But at the State Department, there are hundreds of people who are opposed to their own administration's policy towards supporting Israel. Is that not grounds for dismissal if they are publicly disavowing the American position? Right. So when you work for President Biden, uh, apparently there are no standards, right? So you've got got this problem of that this administration uh, supports policies and 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 people who are promoting ideas and concepts that are, that are not only detrimental to the United States, but detrimental to our own allies. Um, that there's, there's no question that the Biden administration uh, coddles and embraces those that, that counter the, the very fabric of what's important to America. So my, my, I have two last questions. The first has to do with the Iranian influence operation that was directed at members of the Biden administration. Does the Intel Committee think it has its arms around that? Has the administration reacted appropriately to those people who were compromised by Iran? Um, well, that's a tough question because I, I think you know we're still doing I'm doing investigation to determine the extent of that. I, I do believe um, that the investigations that currently have identified people who are compromised is 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 ongoing and is going to bring those individuals to justice. Uh, but there are there's soft ways in which to to influence an administration. And the fact that this administration, you know, paid billions of dollars uh, to, for hostages to be released by Iran, continues to negotiate with Iran to try to enter in the f- very flawed uh, nuclear uh, agreement that the Obama administration had negotiated. There's certainly evidences uh, that that Iranian influence. Um, is, is certainly pursued by this administration. And that's a, that's certainly problematic for us. My last question has to do with the threat, the threat from terrorism, uh, terrorists in the United States. They hit New York and D.C. Of course, the plane crashed in Pennsylvania as well, but the targets were New York and D.C. Do you believe that the primary targets of foreign terrorism remain New York and D.C., Congressman? Uh, I think um, you know, those certainly were were symbols around the world, and, and that's certainly why they, they were attacked at, at that time. But I think now uh, this is, is more a 
problematic because you have you have terrorists who are looking at at the desire to attack America and how, how America stands and Americans to do harm uh, is what we saw in Israel. Uh, they didn't attack uh, symbols; they attacked innocent people. Uh, so we have to be you know ever uh, aware uh, that the threat is there. And by the FBI, FBI director coming forward and making it public, I think certainly he's challenged the administration to step up to address the issue of the border. Those people who are coming across uh, that are, are unaccounted for. Um, and certainly Congress has been moving to try to force the administration to address the border, close the border, and uh, you know, try to keep America safe. Uh, Chairman, one last question, because we have time. Long ago and far away in the Reagan administration, I was a young lawyer at the Department of Justice in the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, special assistant to two attorneys general. There were lots of Soviets in the country that were sleeper agents. There were lots of East Germans. There were lots of Cubans. The threat now is the People's Republic of China. Do you have a handle on how many CCP sleepers are in the United States? Well, that's something certainly that um, that is you know, top on the list of what our intelligence community tries to track. But the and I appreciate you bringing up the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. You know, the, the one of the greatest tools that we give to our intelligence community is the ability to monitor the communications of foreigners that are outside the United States. And those people don't have constitutional uh, protection. Correct. And monitoring their communications is incredibly important for us to be able to understand who they're talking to and, and who they're charging with tasks within the United States. As people within the United States communicate to those people who are outside who are, are foreign threats. Um, that tool is one of our most important. And, of course, monitoring that gives us the ability to see who really is in touch with those, with those foreign powers. And that's a way that we track people. Uh, who are within the United States or communicating uh, outside uh, with uh, with the Chinese threat. But I don't think America understands the scale, Chairman. I didn't until I got my clearances and my eyes were opened. I've never closed them since. <laughs> the scale is extraordinary, and the CCP is bigger and more determined to do this than the USSR was. There's no question that, that this is a, you know, a, a, an important threat for us both to monitor and to, to address. Um, I think the intelligence community is, is doing you know, a yeoman's job of trying to track that. But as you just said, um, when you, even if you identify the threat and you assess it today, uh, two days from now, uh, it changes and you have to be fluid and make certain that you're adapting. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, I hope you get the tools. Thank you for joining me, Chairman. Keep coming back to sound the alarm. And I'm glad that uh, the FBI director was up in front of you and sounding the alarm as well. People have got to be aware of this. Thank you, Chairman Mike Turner, one of the great congressmen up there. He, he helms the Intel Committee. Great people on Intel. People like uh, Mike Gallagher, Michael Waltz, great people on Intel. And I'm, I'm very glad that they are there. Uh, that is the committee. It's bipartisan. Adam Schiff is off of it. And it works. It really, really works. Welcome back, America. If for my new audience on uh, AM 940 News Talk, that KSWM in Aurora, Missouri, this is the part you have to suffer through every week. Chairman Mike Gallagher, who is the chairman of the bipartisan House Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party, is sadly from Wisconsin, sadly doesn't know anything about football, and he's in a defunct because the Packers are three and six and my Browns are six and three. But he's gotten over that, and he's back, and he's still writing great pieces for the free press that I used as my crib notes for the debate last week. Good morning, Congressman. I, I hope you liked your, your summary that I used of your op-ed last week from Miami. I was honored. I w- here I was prepared to thank you, but then, of course, you just insulted me in the intro. Everyone who listens to your show knows that this is the highlight 
of the week. I suspect the ratings spike every time I come on. And then they, they go down when you start bashing the Packers. There's so, no failure. In there's sports. a lesson. In that. That's only because the CCP's listening in. Yeah, the CCP doesn't like the Packers either. So, Are you back from San Francisco yet? I am. Yep. I went there this weekend um, and uh, did some uh, spoke at a, a human rights event for a bunch of uh, Chinese Americans uh, who are protesting Xi Jinping's visit. Um, you know, a lot of things going on in preparation for APEC, um, you know, beyond the absurdity of Gavin Newsom uh, cleaning up the streets of San Francisco in order to make it look good for his friend, a genocidal dictator, Xi Jinping, which illustrates the absurdity of forcing San Francisco residents every day to live with open air drug use, rampant, you know, homelessness and human feces. But when a communist dictator comes to town, suddenly all notions of equity and social justice magically disappear. Um, but also, uh, of course, uh, President Biden and, and she are expected to meet. Uh, my hope is that President Biden brings up issues like China's continued threats to Taiwan, human rights issues like China's jailing of the Hong Kong 47 and Jimmy Lai. Um, I think the the best that could possibly come out of this is the establishment of some sort of crisis communication channel. Think a military to military communication line. The Trump administration tried to set that up and the CCP refused. Biden's been trying uh, uh, and uh, the CCP has refused. But really, two years of diplomacy have led to this meeting. We've sent multiple cabinet officials over there. We've delayed defensive action. We've taken our foot off the gas when it comes to the CCP, just so Biden can sit down with Xi Jinping or go for a walk in the woods around San Francisco so the stakes are very high, I think, for the Biden administration to show some tangible progress. And I'm worried that they'll commit to some meaningless working group, sing Kumbaya. And the result is that we just, you know, will have less energy behind our ability to push back on China's aggression. You know, Chairman, I asked three questions at last week's debate, fleet, size and makeup. I asked about TikTok and I asked about opioids. I don't think we're going to any progress at all on any of these things. Chris Christie had the right answer, by the way, about submarines. That's what we need to build. TikTok needs to be banned, and we need to hold China accountable for this. But the news comes this morning that we're going to sign a deal limiting our AI reach into defense. And I cannot believe it. The one area where we have a clean and distinct lead, whether well, two, underwater technology and, and, and our subs, and then AI. Uh, who is running this? Chairman, who is running this summit? It's not Joe Biden. No, here's what's happened over the last two years. The the more dovish members of the administration, uh, John Kerry, Janet Yellen, uh, and others, seem to be winning out over the more hawkish members of the administration, um, whether it's certain DOD officials like Eli Ratner or certain National Security Council officials like Tarun Chabra. I also think there's something else that explains this behavior where we limit action and we thereby give China an advantage in the hopes that somehow they're going to play nice despite decades of evidence and recent evidence that when we pull our punches, they get more aggressive. So, for example, you know, we send our commerce secretary over to China. What do the Chinese do? They hack the emails of the Commerce Secretary, right? Uh, we've had no uh, meaningful transparency into things like the spy balloon incident, the origins of COVID, the list goes on and on. Um, but lurking in the background of this, I wonder, is just the, the president's uh, weak position politically, his desire not to rock the boat economically heading into an election, and the perception that if we provoke China, it could hurt us and thereby hurt the president's electoral prospects. I hate to be cynical, but I've sort of tried to find an alternative explanation, and that's that's the one uh, I've arrived at. If you read Jake Sullivan's foreign affairs piece as well, uh, and the this original is the piece one, that infamous, the original, yes, one. exactly, the, <laughs> the original one where they claim credit for the Middle East being you know calmer than at any time in recent history, and progress on Middle East peace issues. And then, of course, they got mugged by reality on October 7th uh, in Gaza and Israel. Uh, but he also at the end has a, a short uh, section where he says, we have areas where we need to cooperate with China, where our interests align. And he specifically calls out AI. I'm starting to see this narrative appear, not only from the administration, but from some prominent voices 
like Elon Musk, who have said that when it comes to AI, the Chinese Communist Party is on team humanity. Uh, and the theory is that because AI could pose a risk to the regime itself, they have an interest in working with us on sensible regulation. I find this to be incredibly naive because, of course, the CCP is on team genocide, not team humanity. But also, there's no question that if they dominate this technology, if they control the commanding heights of AI, quantum, synthetic biotech, and a few other key technologies, they will use it for evil. They will use it to further perfect their techno-totalitarian regime and then export that model of governance around the world. I worry that this is going to become the new sort of climate change, the thing that you know, smart center-left people can say, well, here's where we can work with the CCP, even as we're competing in other areas. But the result is that we just are, we, we don't attack this with a sense of urgency, and they expand their influence at the expense of our interests. I love that term, techno-totalitarians. We're going to steal that from you, Congress. But I want to close with this. In the, uh, the discussion yesterday on Comfortably Smug, Ambassador Haley, and I'm Switzerland like you are. We don't, have, we don't endorse in the presidential race. I don't think you have endorsed, and I'm not going to endorse but I do listen to everybody. Ambassador Haley uh, put forward the proposition that we need to have uh, identification of people who use social media. Now, I don't believe she means that online. I mean, she she means it at the gateway because she's after the China bots, the Russia bots, the Iranian bots, the terror bots. And I agree with her on that. But a lot of conservatives immediately rile up and they say, look at the Twitter files. We can't trust people with our IDs. What do you think is the appropriate resolution between national security and the First Amendment? Well, the, the first thing to say is, in light of the question you asked at the debate on TikTok, I want to make sure that we don't conflate the sort of thorny issue of American social media companies and the privacy issues that are bound up in those questions and also this set of issues around Section 230 and whether social media companies should be liable for what's posted on their platform and, and an entirely separate issue in my mind, which is foreign ownership, foreign adversary control of a social media company in America. There's no question in my mind that you can legally, practically preclude a hostile foreign adversary from controlling a tech or social media company in America without getting into all the thorny free speech or privacy issues. So I just don't want to see those two things conflated. One small step that has always made sense to me when it comes to our social media companies here in America, if we're concerned about Chinese bots and disinformation and all that stuff. And this really, I think, is much smaller than what Ambassador Haley is presenting. Why, as a matter of basic reciprocity, do we allow hostile foreign regimes like the Chinese Communist Party to have their apparatchiks, their propagandists, have accounts and spread anti-American propaganda all over these platforms when, of course, these platforms are not allowed in China? Right. Your average Chinese citizen can't get on X. And yet every wolf warrior diplomat is on X saying that the pandemic started at an American lab and saying that America is a systemically racist place. That's never made sense to me at all. A broader thing I think we need to consider is for people is data portability, basically for people to own their data and be able to take it from one platform to another. I actually think that would uh, uh, create more competition uh, over time. So uh, just a few thoughts, and I'll admit I have not uh, reviewed Ambassador Haley's proposal in depth. Well, I want everyone to review your article in the free press, Barry Weiss's amazing article. That's what we'd use for the prep for the debate, and it's a well-written, comprehensive piece on TikTok. It's at the free press. Just do uh, Google Mike Gallagher, free press, and TikTok. You'll get it. Mr. Chairman, I hope the Packers finish at least at 500, but I don't think so. Good luck to you. Thank you for being back. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, welcoming my new affiliate in Aurora, Missouri, AM 940 News Talk. You join our 475 other affiliates. Welcome aboard, Missouri. I'm joined this morning by Congressman Chuck Fleischman. He's got the greatest Twitter handle in the world. It's Rep Chuck. So easy to remember, Rep Chuck. He represents Tennessee's 4th Congressional District. More importantly, Congressman, welcome. You are friends with my college roommate who thinks the world of you. 
Well, likewise, Dan Poneman is a dear friend, and Hugh, he is doing outstanding things for America with a company called Centris to get America back on track to have a domestic source of enriched uranium. So important on so many fronts, but uh, great scholar. Uh, Dan and I disagree on a lot of things politically, but we're great friends, and he's just really a great mind, and um, I've enjoyed working with him really now for well over a decade, but he thinks the world of you too, sir. Well, I've been arguing with him for 48 years, but I trust everything <laughs> to, to, to Dan and, and Mark and Paul, my roommates from long ago, but they are wrong about everything. They're all Democrats. I lived with Democrats, but you know what? You got to get their perspective. And once in a while they get it right. And he's right about nuclear energy. And he's right about enrichment. And I know you're going to talk about that, but Congressman, I want to talk to you about Israel. You are on the appropriations committee with my dear friend, Ken Kelbert. He's overworking on the defense side. You're overworking on the foreign aid side. Tell us where our aid to Israel and Ukraine is right now, but specifically Israel. Well, for me, Israel is a priority. Uh, Israel is our true great ally in the Middle East, uh, a great bastion of democracy. Um, Right now, Israel, unfortunately, has been the the target, uh, and its people have been the target of radical Islam uh, taking its worst form in Hamas. Uh, we see Hezbollah in the north now rattling its sabers, uh, all backed by Iran. Um, first and foremost, I want our listeners to know that Israel is and will always be our number one recipient of foreign aid, uh, whether it was fighting over two years ago on the House floor for Iron Dome and Iron Dome funding. Israel's funding will be secure, so it is in place. What we're talking about is getting additional funding to Israel uh, on all fronts, humanitarian, military, and otherwise, to make sure that it can defend itself against this horrific attack. Uh, many of Israel's neighbors are, are violent. Uh, they're radical. Their rhetoric uh, matches their actions. So we need to stand up, and I think the world needs to stand up and fund Israel, protect its right to exist. We will get there. Uh, right now, it's tumultuous on Washington D- in Washington, D.C., uh, but we will get there with additional aid on Israel, no question about it. Now, Congressman, I was among the 300,000 people on the mall yesterday, as were both sides of the House and the Senate represented, and it was a nonpartisan, although there's a radical fringe in the Democratic caucus, which is truly undermining Uh, the case for Israel, and I think needs to be called out. But I understand there was a screening yesterday of the IDF compilation of the Hamas GoPro uh, video. I will not see that. I can't see that. I got grandkids. I just cannot see it. But I think legislators, especially those who oppose aid for Israel, ought to have seen it. Were you among that hundred? Because you're such a strong ally of Israel. I doubt you need to be told how barbaric that savage attack was. Well, as probably one of, if not Israel's strongest supporter in the House, and, and I'm so glad that you alluded to the fact that this must be bipartisan, it must be bicameral, Republicans and Democrats, the House and the Senate, I've got a lot of problems with Joe Biden, I could articulate them literally by, by the hundreds, he's right on this, on his support of Israel, I think his rhetoric has been good and strong, needs to remain strong, that's another story for another day. But I have seen pictures all along, uh, heard stories uh, from friends of mine who have family members in Israel, uh, in the IDF, fighting every day, um, even beyond what was seen yesterday, uh, which and and horrific. Uh, but uh, what is actually being shown uh, from the inception on 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 TV um, is graphic, is horrific. And it just shows the world the real dangers of radical Islam uh, when they match their uh, actions with their rhetoric of hate. This is a rhetoric of hate, uh, rhetoric of hate towards the United States, towards Israel, towards the existence of the Jewish state. Um, and we need to stand up. And I'm so glad you were there yesterday, close to 100,000 peaceful demonstrators uh, to let America know and to let the world know that America is going to stand with Israel. The other thing yesterday, Congressman, that the fetching Mrs. Hewitt, my spouse of 40 plus years, and I did was to donate to Hatikva, 
uh, and not Hatikva, to Hatzalah. I get it wrong. Michael Oren gave it to me, the ambassador, their rescue, res- IsraelRescue.org, because they are really strapped. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you're going to give military hardware to Israel. Are we going to give any humanitarian aid? Because the country's reeling. Everybody's in the army. Their, their, their high-tech sector isn't working. Dan Senor has told me about that. Will there be additional aid for the actual fiscal side of the house in Israel? I'm sure they will. And once again, let me rearticulate to our listeners that Israel has been and will continue to be the number one recipient of American aid. Interestingly enough, Egypt is second. One of the reasons they're second was because of the Camp David Accords, which I think all people would applaud. I've actually had conversations with President Sisi in his office over the years. There's a of Egypt. Um, not all of Israel's uh, neighbors are adverse to Israel. Uh, they realize that Iran is the major bad actor. Turkey has had major problems under Erdogan and its actions. Uh, we want to try to bring countries closer to Israel, and we've done that with the uh, the accords with uh, Oman and the, and the UAE, and uh, we're for that. But but the reality is. Um, there will be more humanitarian aid, and it will continue. It will be strong. The vehicle is how we're going to look at that. Bear in mind, you alluded to the State and Foreign Operations Subcommittee I sit on, chaired by my good friend Mario Diaz-Ballard from Miami, strong, strong supporter of Israel, as am I. That package has strong Israel aid. And the the other thing that we need to do, I think, is to make sure that these countries – that espouse anti-Semitism, espouse hatred towards Israel or the United States, do not receive our aid. And I think our bill does that. We clearly lay things out. Now, sadly, there are people on the other side of the aisle um, who oppose Israel and who oppose Israel aid. Uh, They're in a minority. But the other part about it is there are people on the other side of the aisle, Democrats in the House and in the Senate, who sit back and acquiesce uh, when we give aid to those countries that either espouse anti-Israel or anti-United States rhetoric. And we need to stop that. That bill does stop that. I, I want people to know I'm talking with Congressman Chuck Fleischman. You can find him on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, at Rep Chuck. The organization to which we donated yesterday is United Hatzala. Ambassador Oren is recommending it. You can find it at IsraelRescue.org. Congressman, you mentioned the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. They're our greatest ally in the Arab world. Little Sparta, General Mattis calls them. If an organization gets in place post-war in Gaza with people like the UAE attending to its operation, would any relief go to Gazans who are not Hamas? I mean, Hamas is a is a portion of Gaza, but they are going to be destroyed. Rebuilding Gaza, will we help them if it's being uh, superintended by reliable allies? We're going to have to look at that and see what form it takes. Uh, I hope and pray you're right that we get rid of Hamas. Uh, remember uh, President Trump's great war against ISIS. Uh, we destroyed ISIS, but there are still, sadly, some ISIS cells left over. It, it's almost like a cancer. You want to get it all, but if there are a few cells left over, it is still there. And uh, the radical Islamist groups, most of which are supported, sadly, by Iran, um, is is uh, they're in a position where whether it's Hezbollah uh, in the north of Israel uh, or other groups uh, in out of Yemen, the Houthis, it, it's all of these need to be uh, quelled. Uh, ultimately, we're going to have to look at Gaza. We're going to have to actually look in the West Bank and and as as well uh, to make sure that radical. Uh, Hamas does not gain a foothold there. Uh, I think Abbas is probably going to have some political problems, largely because uh, he represents more of a moderate faction as opposed to um, radical Hamas and, and, and radical Islam with that horrible rhetoric that basically says we, uh, they want to destroy Israel. On UAE, they are going to host COP is good. I've actually met with the sheikh in, in London uh, who's over the nuclear program. He's visited with me in the United States. Uh, I'm going to be staying here and working during COP, which is in December. But the reality is they've been a very positive actor, and they want American nuclear in, in their yeah. country. So Dan, Dan has worked there a lot. 
Uh, Congressman, thank you for joining. Keep coming back. Rep Chuck on Twitter. Remember, he's one of the good guys in the House. And I think my friend John Schroeder is your constituent now. you got to watch out for him, Congressman. He, he's a California import and wrong about everything. But good to have you on. Keep coming back. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America, and my new affiliate, AM 940 News Talk, KSWM in Aurora, Missouri. We are pleased to often have on Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin. He is on the Finance Committee, the Budget Committee, and Homeland Security Committees in the Senate, and I wanted to check in with him about spending. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back. Good morning, Hugh. Hope you're doing well. I am, and I hope you are as well. Do you think we're going to avoid a government shutdown? The House passed the bill last night, and it's got what we need to get through the end of the year. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be shutting down. Uh, sounds like we might even vote on that in the Senate today. Uh, I think Speaker Johnson, it was a tough call for, for him. He had to make a tough decision. He wants to cut spending, just like uh, the fiscal conservatives in the House and the Senate. Uh, but he also recognized that shutting down the government's not the solution. It's not going to uh, really result in uh, reduced spending. So get through this phase and turn your attention to bringing greater scrutiny to these individual spending bills. Uh, you know, funding 2024 is a mess not a mess he got us into. It's a mess he's trying to get us out of, but really focusing on a more regular appropriation process for 2025 where we, again, can give greater scrutiny to spending. Now, now Con- uh, Senator, last week at the debate, I brought up the fact that this last year at the border, more than 150 suspects on the terror watch list were detained by American Who knows how many got away? Are we going to do anything about the border in this fiscal year? Well, the opportunity we have is tying border security to Ukraine. And I know that's controversial, but from my standpoint, the open border is a clear and present danger to America, to our national homeland security. Uh, in addition, to the, I think there's 169 individuals encountered on the terror watch list. 1.7 million gotaways. 1.7 million people we just detected coming across. We have no idea who those people are. And we've got Hamas calling for days of rage. You think there might be a bad person or two in that 1.7 million people? So we have to secure the border. And certainly what I'm suggesting in, I know senators are negotiating with Democrats uh, on this. And, you know, they're, they're, they're talking tough. They're talking about using HR2 language, uh, fixing our, our completely broken asylum system. Uh, but because we don't, we have a lawless administration. We have a president that wants open borders. The only way we're going to secure the border is if we make spending contingent on actually hitting benchmarks. And it took President Trump from his peak to his trough 12 months to secure the border because he was dedicated to doing it. We need similar types of benchmarks to to hold President Biden's feet to the fire. Uh, Senator Johnson, we know that terrorist organization and terror-sponsoring states like Iran and Russia and China, they know that the border is open. Why would we not think they would exploit that? Do your, do your Democratic colleagues think they're stupid? They're not stupid. They're evil. They are supporting President Biden's open border policy. Again, it blows me away that anybody would take that viewpoint. You know, even President Biden, when he's a senator, voted for the Secure Fence Act, um, so, you know, why aren't they, you know, protecting this country? You know, the only conclusion you can really draw from that is that they want more people that are beholden to them, that are grateful to them for letting them into this country, and they'll eventually vote for them. Uh, there's, it makes no sense other than that. Uh, but, no, as I said, this is a clear and present danger. We have to secure the border, and, and I'm willing to use uh, their desire to fund Ukraine war to get border security. I think that has to come first. Does that package move in tandem with the CR, or is that a standalone bill, Senator? Well, I think that's one of the things that Speaker Johnson accomplished, is he separated the, the supplemental spending bill from a continuing resolution. They, they should not have been con- connected. I think that was probably Schumer's uh, goal here. He, he also separated the support for Israel, which I thought was smart. You know, let's get that passed now. Uh, let's pay for it. I mean, it's, it's literally in the scheme of things when we're spending, uh, you know, six point. $2 trillion a year, uh, we can probably afford to find some pay for uh, for $14.5 billion. Uh, so I thought that was smart on the part of the Speaker. And, and by the way, just yesterday, uh, Roger Marshall led the effort on the floor of the Senate to uh, bring up the House bill, and we got a vote on it. And now it was a tabling measure, but every Democrat 
voted against courting Israel, detabling the House bill. And so uh, you know, one more day goes by and, and we're not to provide the, the support that Israel needs. They put the IRS agency ahead of Israel yesterday? Apparently, yeah. Or, or Senate procedure. Uh, but uh, you know, we had an opportunity there. The floor was open and uh, Senator Marshall went down with a bunch of us and, and we, we uh, provided a cloture petition on that and forced a vote on it. And again, 51 Democrats voted to table support for Israel. All Republicans voted in, in support of Israel. It t- kind of tells you where our nation is right now, how divided it is, which is probably the greatest threat facing our nation right now is, is the division. Well, keep fighting the good fight. Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, always will be here to my new audience in Missouri and my new audience in New Jersey and Florida. Just know that Senator Johnson is fighting the good fight from Wisconsin. He's on the show often, as is most of the other senators in the Republican caucus. And Democrats are welcome here, too. They're always welcome. Chris Coons, the rest of them, they're always welcome. Always will be civil. Don't go anywhere, America, except over to HughHewitt.com. Remember to join the universe. Get every minute of every show commercial free. Get every show we've ever done and get a fresh podcast every day. I just uh, will be recording the grand old pod for today's uh, only for the universe members. You can text me as well via the universe if you're a member of the universe. 99 cents for the first month. Generalissimo does a podcast three days a week. I do it two days a week. That's original content. You cannot get it anywhere other than the universe. And I would encourage all the new audience, if you like what you hear, get more of the same, but better, because there's no commercial interruption at all in the universe. Stay tuned, America. I'm Drew Hewitt. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 